Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon. Today, we are continuing our sermon series titled, Making Real What I Already Believe. And our guest speaker, Doug Pippis, will be looking at the text, John 4, verses 5 through 30. In this sermon, Doug looks at how our lives are messy, and how often, instead of facing the messiness, we deflect and focus instead on our past or our futures. However, in our story, we see how Jesus doesn't avoid the problem of pain, but how he engages it honestly. We then must let Jesus address our pain and embrace the ongoing process of love and discipleship. It's good to be with you again. When I think of the Christian life, I'm a simple guy. Uh, The Arnolds could tell you stories about that, but that's for you to decide if you want to hear them. Um, I I need it to be really clear and simple. So when I think of Christianity and what it means to be a Christian, I think of two things. I need to be in the world on mission. That's the one we most often talk about. But there's a second part that's just as critical. I need to becoming the person I was made, need to be becoming the person I was made to be. That frankly is preferably overlooked because that's hard. The Apostle Paul wrote many years ago, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am and his grace to me was not without effect. That's true for us too. We get the same grace Paul got. You might even say, well, thank God because I'm not as bad as Paul so that should really work well for me. You're lying to yourself. Let's just be honest. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. <clears throat> and, and we work through this process. I am literally involved right now in building a house. Not, a, a friend came over one day and he says, you know, a lot of people talk about building a house, but what they mean is you hire a contractor and you show up on the site occasionally to make sure the contractor's doing what he's doing. He said, you're not doing that. You're actually building a house, and it's true. My wife and I sold our house a year ago, well, not even a year ago, last November, And we moved into the basement, we prefer to call it the lower level, of my son's house while we build a garden suite in their backyard, which I started about a month and a half ago. So I've been slogging around in mud, I've been climbing ladders, I've been doing all kinds of stuff. And then just this last week, I got this little gift. I've had pain in my foot for several weeks, actually several months, and finally it was my annual physical, so the doctor checked me over and I'm okay and... And then she said, is there anything else? I said, well, there's this issue with my foot. So I literally left the doctor's office, went to get an x-ray, and she called and said, yeah, that didn't show anything, but I'm pretty sure something's wrong, so I want you to get a bone scan. So a couple days later, I got a bone scan. The following week, she calls and says, yeah, it's like we thought. You have a stress fracture in your foot. So you need to wear an air cast for a month. Well, I don't know if you can tell, but this really isn't um, state-of-the-art construction material but I can't stop billing. And I told her that. So we had this little negotiation. She said, well, 
If you promise not to do anything stupid, and I didn't ask her to define stupid. She looked right at me, though, so that maybe was a clue. Um, We'll work that out. And so that's the situation I'm in. It's not the way I would like it. Now, for how many of us is that true in some way? You might not be building a house. There are all kinds of things that we deal with. The reality of our lives is that they're messy, that they're imperfect, because we are messy and imperfect. You've been working through a series called Making Real What We Already Believe. And if you're going to do that, you have to come to understand the point that I've been given to talk about today. Jesus meets us in the messiness of our lives. The African-American author uh, James Baldwin wrote once, Not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Keep that in mind. We'll be a little hoity-toity. We'll go back to the uh, 17th century French nobleman, La Rochefoucauld. Almost all our fart, or our farts, almost all of our faults, <laughs> and there's another one, see? Messy. Almost, almost all of our faults are more pardonable than the methods we think up to hide them. It's, it's on tape now. It's, This is about as good as it gets, by the way. So, <clears throat> Brokenness, woundedness, a tongue that doesn't work, it all affects us to some degree. You know, if you've been a Christian for a while, you probably love this phrase, the truth shall set you free. Until the truth is about you. Right? I don't like knowing that I'm anxious. I don't like knowing that I'm controlling or that I'm a worrier or, or, or. I don't like it when I meet with a pastor and I'm coming out of the parking lot and some bozo runs into me in the parking lot. And I don't like the fact that I think of them as a bozo because I don't think Jesus does. Life is messy. When the truth is about us, we tend to avoid. We don't like to think about brokenness. We don't like to think about woundedness. We don't like to think about trauma or suffering or fear or inadequacy. And so at that point, we practice all manner of deflection and avoidance. Why? So that we don't have to actually be present with our present reality. We don't want to deal with anything but that which is actually the reality of the present. Or sorry, we want to deal with anything that is actually not the reality of the present. We want to live anywhere other than that reality. And so we practice something called spiritual bypassing. At least that's the way a couple of people put it. You do this one of two ways, essentially. Instead, remember, there are really only three possibilities, right? The present, the past, and the future. Well, if you don't want to be in the present, you've got to either go to the past or the future. And so we do that. We choose to dwell in the past. And that usually takes one of two forms, regret or nostalgia. Oh, I wish I hadn't done that. You know, if I hadn't have done that, this wouldn't be happening now. Or... 
oh, if only I could go back there. It was so great back then. Whoever said vision in the past is 2020 really wasn't paying attention. It's not 2020. Well, if it's 2020, it's certainly 2020 with rose-colored glasses. So we avoid by going to the past or we contemplate the future because that's very spiritual. And so what do we do when we look at the future? Well, again, only one of two things. We either fantasize, wouldn't it be great when, of course, that's never going to happen, or we worry. One of the things about getting older is you start to think about dying the way you never think about it when you're younger. And if you're not careful, you become consumed with worry. Will I suffer? What will I leave behind? And blah, 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 blah. And all of it keeps me from dealing with the present. Here's a quote from, uh, I don't know, I'm pretty sure Caleb must have told you this, but the, the series that is going on this summer is based on a book called Having the Mind of Christ. <clears throat> And the authors say this about this business of spiritual bypassing. Spiritual bypassing is the process of using the Bible, God, spiritual ideas, or spiritual practices to avoid or ignore what is really happening, usually something negative or uncomfortable in our lives. So now bring Jesus into this picture. We're broken. Let's just be honest. Let's admit that. But bring Jesus in. And for many of us, Jesus is the one pointing a finger and putting his his hand on sore spots and and we're uncomfortable with that and if that's the way you think of Jesus I hope you will think differently by the end of today because see Jesus loves you so much he wants you to change he doesn't want you to live out of your brokenness he wants you to find healing and wholeness I'm not promising some quick fix that's not the point you were not made to be broken And so out of a place of immense love for us, which is essentially a focused desire on what's best for us, that's what the word agape means, he refuses to be distracted and detoured from the truth that he's highlighting in our lives, the truth that we need to engage. He keeps resisting our attempts to deflect and he keeps coming back to the issue at hand. There are examples of this all over the New Testament. He tells this story about the need to love your neighbor. And so this lawyer, Cliff, um, comes to him and says, uh, well, just exactly who is my neighbor? Ooh, good question. Really insightful. And Jesus doesn't even respond to it. He just tells a story. The Good Samaritan story. And then he says to the lawyer, now you tell me, who is the neighbor? There you go. Or another time, somebody comes to him and says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance. He's not being fair. And Jesus, again, seems to ignore the question, and he tells a story about the rich fool and says, Be careful what you focus on. I want to look at one other story with you today. Jesus meeting a woman of Samaria demonstrates just how he keeps bringing us back to focus. He highlights the reality of our thirsting souls because ultimately this is what it's about, right? When you walk into your church building, you've got that quote from Augustine, may we not find our rest till we find it in you. 
But we're not going to rest as long as we don't deal with our brokenness. We're not going to rest as long as we keep avoiding our brokenness. Now, let me stop again. This isn't in the slides, so just hang on, guys. When I use that word brokenness or the word woundedness, we immediately think of it as something really negative. And it is, in, in some cases, in the way it manifests itself. But it's also reality. It's just who we are. And Jesus looks at us, and he's not fooled. We can fool each other, but we don't fool him. And of all of the things that aren't right in our lives, at any given point, he says, okay, we need to work on this right now. So don't think of brokenness or woundedness as incredibly negative, like, oh, I'm worse than everybody. You're not. Look around. There's nobody here who's not broken or wounded. Some of them are deeper. I I freely admit that. But none of us are not broken. We're not wounded. We're not less than what we were made to be for any number of reasons. And Jesus isn't judging us. He's saying, I really actually want you to not be that way anymore because there's this better way with me. So, this passage, it's John chapter 4. Jesus meeting the woman at Samaria, if you want to follow it. Uh, This passage is about Jesus meeting someone who needs to deal with the messiness of her life, but hasn't really. It just keeps getting worse. The first thing that John says is that Jesus is tired after a long journey, and so he's sitting at this well near a city called Sychar, and this woman comes. And how many of us would say, you know, it's really not my problem. I'm just thirsty. I just need to rest for a bit. But Jesus doesn't do that. Why? Because he is incarnate agape love. He's always looking to others. And so he does. And he sees this woman and he initiates with the Samaritan woman who, by the way, is coming to the well at noon. That's significant. How many of you have been in a tropical country? What happens at noon? Apart from eating and sleeping, almost nothing. Why? Because they don't have this drivenness that we Westerners have, and they realize that old statement, only mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the noonday sun, is true. It's exhausting, so they don't even try. And yet here's this woman coming at noon to draw water. Why? Well, that's going to become evident in the story. But essentially for her, every day, that walk to draw water is a walk of shame. See, she's not welcome. Normally, I have this great picture somewhere in my files that I took one morning in Ghana. Early in the morning, I heard this singing. I had just finished my quiet time. It was just dawn. And I went outside, and here's this long line of women and girls, everybody with a big pot on their shoulder or on their head, and they're walking several kilometers to get water, and then they'll walk back to their house, and they'll do it again in the evening. They would never do it in the noonday. It's exhausting. And yet here's this woman doing exactly that because she's not welcome when the others go for water. She's a mess. And so Jesus says, hey, could you give me a drink? 
And she's shocked. First of all, he's a man talking to a woman unchaperoned. Secondly, he's a Jew, she's a Samaritan. They don't have anything to do with each other. Jesus isn't phased. Um, he, he says, she says, well, why are you asking me for a drink? I mean, this is all wrong. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying this to you, give me a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have no bucket. The well is deep. Where did you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well and with his sons and his flocks to drink from it? Jesus says to her, well, you can see what's going on. His response is indirect but factual. And it's provocative. And, and he says to her, look, if you knew who was giving you this invitation, you'd ask me to give you water and it would spring up into you to life. That word spring up is actually the same word that's used elsewhere in the Gospel of John to describe that lame man who was healed. He leaps up. Jesus is saying, look, I have something for you that will cause you to leap up. Well, she's somewhat intrigued. Some scholars think she's just playing with him, like this whole conversation is a bit surreal and she's just kind of going along with it. But you can see her slowly being drawn in. And so she now says, well, actually, I would like that. She has no idea of the spiritual ramifications. All she's thinking is, if I could get hooked into that kind of water, I don't have to make this walk of shame anymore. And Jesus just keeps dialing into the real issue of messiness. He says, great, go call your husband. Uh, Doug, why did you call that woman a bozo? Uh, he gets right to the heart of it. To her credit, she answers honestly. I don't have a husband. And Jesus affirms that. You've spoken the truth. But in fact, you've had five husbands and the guy you're with now is not even your husband. Now you see why she's walking at noon. She's not welcome with the other women. And she's definitely not welcome with their husbands. And now the conversation has become too personal. Remember what I said we do when Jesus starts to put his finger on the messiness of our lives? We deflect, right? She's great at it. Uh, where are we? Verse 19. And so spiritual. Sir, I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where, where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Whoa, spiritual question, really important. Especially if I'm doing evangelism, except that she's just deflecting. She doesn't want to talk about her husband and her marital situation. And Jesus cuts right through again. Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship Him. The implied question, are you a true worshiper? Is your life one of worship? 
She's good though. So he has deflect he has referred the context back to her heart. And she deflects again. Verse 25. I know that Messiah is coming, who's called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Whoa, she's really getting spiritual now. And Jesus cuts right through again. He says, you're looking at him. And the implied question is, now what are you going to do with that? This is a woman with a messy life, and Jesus loves her enough to not just let her escape from the messiness. You will not become who you were meant to be if you keep avoiding the messiness, he's saying to her. Jesus wants the woman and he wants us to see our mess and our need for him and that we have to drink the living water he provides. We literally have to drink to live. It will not do for us to anticipate drinking and assume that that will satisfy us. In the last few weeks when it's been so hot, I've been working, most of the work up until now has been below ground until two weeks ago. So I'm down in a pit six feet deep and we've got these styrofoam blocks that we're using for walls and the sun is just baking. I drank, and I drink a lot of water every day, I drank twice my normal quota because I was so thirsty. You probably don't need to know this, but I never needed to go to the bathroom either. It would not have done for me to say, oh, I remember that time I was up in the mountains and I knelt down and I drank by a stream. That was so refreshing. Just thinking about that makes me refreshed right now. It doesn't work that way. You can't think about the drink that you would like to have or the drink that you had once that was so great, you have to drink. A truly Christ-centered discipleship can't be based on either intentions, as good as they might be, or memories, satisfying as they might be. We all have those moments in our Christian life where it was a highlight, right? We, we felt connected to the Lord. He did something amazing in our lives, whatever. But you can't live there. You live here today. And so we can't live in the past. We can't live in the future. What we need to learn to live is what Eugene Peterson called a long obedience in the same direction. Day after day as broken people dealing with the mess as it comes up. Christ-centered discipleship, notice Christ-centered, cannot be based on our agenda or on us getting what we want from Jesus. That's actually part of the mess. Many of us want Jesus for what we can get. Problem. How do we know it's a problem? Because Jesus said it was. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Jesus resists our attempts to coerce just like he resisted those Samaritan women's attempts. We ought not to try to get what we want from him as much as we ought to try to get what he wants for us. Why? What's the goal of all this? The goal of all this is simple. Integrity. 
congruence between our inner world and our outer behavior. If I am being torn up inside and I make it look like everything's fine, I'm a hypocrite. I'm wearing a mask. That's literally what the Greek word means. Jesus doesn't want that. Jesus was never like that. Matt Tebby and Ben Sternke, who wrote the book, Having the Mind of Christ, put it this way. In Christ, God is at work to cut away that which destroys and, binds up that, and bind up that which is injured. God isn't opposed to us. Notice that. Rather, to save us, God opposes sin and death in us. God is not opposed to us. When he points out the messiness, it's not because he's going to relegate us to some second-class citizenship. It's because he actually wants to bring us up in the world, in his world. But that's not going to happen if we're not willing to deal with the mess. And so finally we need to ask, what do I have to do to meet Jesus in my mess? I'm going to suggest five things. Only four of them are on the slide the other one came to me as I was praying about this again yesterday. So number one, recognize that his motivation is love and desire for your wholeness. He loves me not because I'm good, but because he is good. Nothing I do or don't do can ever change that fundamental reality. Do you believe that? Do you live that? Your behavior ultimately doesn't make God love you more or less. So that's the first thing. Recognize that He loves me. Number two, avoid avoiding. I have seven grandchildren. Ellie, who is four, um, and I have a ritual almost every morning. She, I come up from the lower level and she says, morning, Gramps. Is it time to make iced coffee? I say, yep. And so we make iced coffee together, and it's become more elaborate every time. Ellie is as strong-willed as her grandfather. Um, that's all the responsibility I will take. She's being parented by my son, so that's his problem. But Ellie can avoid things like nobody's business. And it always looks the same. I will say to Ellie, I have an idea. Oh, what's that, Gramps? And I'll tell her. And her response, every time, every time, I have another idea. She's four. She has more ideas than presidents and kings. And she's articulate. Don't be Ellie. See, when Ellie doesn't want to do what you suggest, which she never does, she avoids by coming up with an idea of her own. Lord, I'll deal with this issue in my life, but, but not today, because like you know, my schedule's full. Avoid avoiding. It's a matter of obedience. Third one, be honest. Don't try to manipulate the process or the result. For some of us, the brokenness is deep and incredibly painful. And just the thought of having to go into that valley is enough to make me say, never. I'll move away before I'll do that. 
don't try to manipulate the process or result. If, if Jesus is calling you to go into a valley that's dark, he will be with you. He's not putting a time limit on it. He's never going to ask you to walk somewhere that he knows you can't walk. If your truth is ugly, this thing that he wants you to deal with, then lament or get angry or express whatever you need to express which is part of dealing with that brokenness. Again, you're not going to make him love you less. It's about being honest with what's real. The fourth one, which isn't on the slide, slow down. Socrates once said, the unexamined life is not worth living. My foot is a great example of this. I don't have time for this. I really don't. Like, I would like to be in my new house by Thanksgiving at the latest. And I need to be on the work site every day. Well, then I also need to be willing to have a broken foot because that's the next step if I don't treat it now. And so I have to learn to just slow down. My son would tell you I have to learn to accept more help than I'm willing to accept. I have to learn to be more patient. Slow down. That seems hard when I'm slowing down in pain or in frustration. But that's God's way. The final one is this. Accept that this is an ongoing process of both love and discipleship. You might be thinking of a specific issue now and that's fine. I'm glad you're doing that. But there are others. (laughs) Sorry. Because we're not whole. We're on the process of becoming whole. We're in the process of becoming whole. Years ago, I read a quote in the newspaper by uh, Michael Ward, who was then the pastor of Central United downtown. And I'm paraphrasing it slightly, but he, they were talking about a recovery ministry that they were leading in the downtown core. And, and he said and, and something to this effect, but I'm paraphrasing it now. God loves me so much that he accepts me where I am. And he loves me so much that he's not willing to leave me there. When you and I are born, if I can go back to the building metaphor, we are fixer-uppers. We continue to be fixer-uppers. And we need this one who gives living water to the woman at the well and who is the master builder to keep building us. The problem is, and this is where I want to leave you, I don't think I need to convince any of you, if you're honest, that there's a mess in our lives, a brokenness, whatever you want to call it. The problem is, will we choose not to deflect? Will we actually choose to engage? Pray with me. Lord, the worship team did a great job in not only leading us in worship, but leading us to 
the wonder of who you are. And yet there's often a disconnect between what we just did 30 minutes ago and what we're hearing now. We say that we trust you. We say that we, we love that you're a humble king. And then we try to be our own kings and queens. Forgive us. Help us to trust you for the mess today and every day. Help us to learn to be patient in it. Help us to not let ourselves be defined by it. Help us to walk with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources to help further your study throughout the week, you can go to vbchurch.ca forward slash sermons.